You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matias, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 29. We have November. No, uh, oh. <laughs> What's that you say? I don't think that's a tuple. <laughs> we have November vision tupled. That was a tough one. That was, I think, the hardest one. November vision tupled. Our episode output, you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even November, and you can't even pronounce it. Yeah. All right. What's in today's show? So what's on today's show, Sharky? Well, two stories. First one, you know, listen, you and I, we love a good kind of hardware debate, camera gear stuff. I think our audience likes it too. Uh, so this is actually coming out of a Petapixel article from a few days ago uh, with the not so subtle title of The Death of DSLRs is Near by Sebastian Jacobitz. Good topic, something that, you know, you and I have uh, our thoughts on and I'm sure the audience will enjoy. Uh, and then the second one, this one I saw from a couple of weeks ago, uh, and uh, I don't know why we didn't uh, cover it until now, but this is a fun one. So this comes from our friends at F-Stoppers, and it has to do with uh, Elia Licardi, wonderful photographer, and it's all about pirating of educational content uh, that F-Stoppers and Elia have created. I think it's a brilliant story. I think what they did is hilarious, uh, and I look forward to chatting about it with you. It's going to be a lot of fun. For sure. So Sharky, uh, let's talk about... <laughs> Let's talk about gear, shall we? Because nothing bad. There's never any contention about talking about gear. But why don't we start with this this article? I'm sure you've read it. Uh, I believe you might have actually covered it on your show, right? The Petapixel Photography Podcast. <laughs> it's something that we cover on the show over the years here and there because photographers want to talk about what's going to happen to the DSLR. Is it going to go away? Does it even really matter? And is mirrorless the future? And we definitely have some thoughts on this. So what do you think? You want to tell us about the article? Sure. So, uh, you know, it, the again, the title of the article is The Death of DSLRs is Near. It's not a question. It's not saying, is the death of DSLRs near? Uh, or could the death of DSLRs be coming? It's saying the death of DSLRs is near, period. Uh, and again, Sebastian Jacobitz is the author. It's, uh, you know, it's a pretty straightforward argument uh, in terms of Sebastian goes down the trends of market share with uh, basically with interchangeable lens cameras, meaning cameras where the lens isn't fixed to the body, but you can remove it. And you, you definitely see it doesn't require a lot to see this uh, very strong trend uh, of mirrorless cameras. And of course, uh, you know, smartphone cameras, you, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't include smartphones. Technically, smartphones are mirrorless cameras in a way. But what you're seeing is, uh, especially with Sony, uh, definitely f I'm not knocking Fuji at all or Panasonic because uh, arguably Micro Four Thirds and, and Fuji cameras have been around well before Sony's mirrorless cameras have been around. But the overall, these the, this whole entire ecosystem of cameras that eschew the prism box with a, a mirror that slaps up and down, it's just been exploding to the point where even Canon, what was it, Sharky, like a... Uh, the other day where Canon came out and said that we are actually, you know, something we are working on something that's coming out in this field. So um, I don't know, Chucky, you're not a, you were a mirrorless shooter, right? But now you're back to a DSLR. Is that correct? So my daily driver, and by daily, I mean monthly, is the Nikon D850. So, you know, I don't shoot as nearly as much as I used to, but every chance I get, it's going to be the D850 going forward here. I love my X-T2, but 
I just needed a system that was going to be compatible with what a lot of our advertisers on the Petapixel Photography Podcast put out. And not all of them have systems for Sony just yet, but that's where things are going. And you notice that when you hear lenses being released and other accessories, etc., it's always Nikon, Canon, and then you got like Sony in there. So you don't always have Fujifilm and the others. So that shows you the dominance of Sony. Nikon and Canon have both said they're working on full frame mirrorless systems. We don't know if it'll take their native lenses or if they'll adapt or not. I think it should take their native lenses. You don't want to have to buy new lenses to use that system. But for me, I needed a DSLR. I was considering the A7R Mark III, but I got the D850 instead. But I've said on my show, long term, I'm going to be Sony mirrorless. But right now, Nikon fits the bill for me. And I have Nikon lenses and such. So it just made sense to do it that way than to go switch out and get the Sony things. But you know, do you even need a DSLR? Does it matter if a mirror is in there or not? I maintain that you do not. Like our friend Frederick Van Johnson said on when I was on TWIP a while back, it was a hack in the first place. If you were building a camera today with today's technology, you wouldn't necessarily put a mirror in there. You don't need to. I, th- I still think that the DSLR is a better experience overall, but the mirrorless systems are definitely getting there. Look at how many people have switched over to mirrorless just in this last six months to year or so. It's getting there. I mean, for me, the here, here's where I take it. Uh, you break it down into two different types of photographer. You've got the ones kind of like you, you. You actually said it. You already had uh, an ecosystem. Uh, you know, you you have a base with Nikon. You have lenses with them. So in that regard, which I think the majority of our listeners are, they already have the system in place. So uh, if they've already invested the money in uh, the camera and the lenses and the various accessories that are made for their cameras, it's a big ask to expect someone to move over. Uh, And fortunately, again, and I've said this uh, in previous episodes, it is nice with Sony, for example, uh, that you can do it in a phased implementation or a phased migration, meaning you don't have to go whole hog. You can just buy a camera and an adapter for most every common uh, lens mount, especially Canon, which is what I did. I switched from, I, I was a 5D Mark III shooter at the time when I, I got rid of that body and I went with the, the OG Sony A7, original gangster. And after a while, back then still, uh, the lenses were, uh, the Sony lenses were, were great, but I, I was using my Canon lenses and the adapters. I was using a Metabones, I think three, a Mark three. And now I think they're at Mark four with several firmware updates and autofocus has become better. But back then with the one I had, it was miserable. And construction issues were there, like uh, the contacts from the end of the lens uh, were causing, They I don't know if they were making good contact because it was causing my camera to freak out. I say this because that was, for me, the straw that broke the camel's back. I got rid of all of my Canon gear except for the fisheye, which was my gear pick for two episodes ago. And I just went with native uh, lenses. So listen, I remember you and I having these conversations um, in early, early episodes before the A7R Mark III, before the A9 came out. And in certain contexts, like you were saying, Sharky, for the sports photographers, for um, photojournalists, for people for, for people who need very high frame rates, that was a gap that was still there where DSLRs, not only with the, the higher frame rate, but also the, the faster autofocus, the DSLRs still were untouchable. I do believe, though, that that gap has significantly shrunken uh, where 
if uh, there is someone, this is the second type. So I said the first type of photographer is one who already has a system in place. The second type, who I think is a much, much more rare, who doesn't have any system in place or really, you know, maybe has all they have had so far was a kit camera, like, you know, from Costco, like, you know, a basic body and a kit lens where to switch over is, is relatively easy. In those situations, though, I would say go for mirrorless. Uh, I do believe that there are a lot of advantages. I feel that uh, mirrorless offers, if anything, just for that kind of real-time exposure preview, uh, as opposed to using an optical viewfinder. For me, I'll never forget this. I can't remember if I told the story or not, but uh, back in 2015, my first trip to Iceland, I was with my buddies, Colby Brown, who uh, was uh, a guest, I think, on episode 20 of this show. And then uh, Joe Azure, who we were, we were standing at night and we were photographing Northern Lights. And both Colby and I were shooting Sony's. Uh, Joe was using a Canon camera. And we were able to, with our A7S's, jack up our ISOs so that we can see what was in front of us as if it was daylight. We were able to compose easy. Joe, on the other hand, was stuck. He basically had the typical try on error, uh, you know, find your focus, uh, wait the 30 seconds, uh, and then chimp to see if you got it focused. For us, we were able to zoom in and do everything instantly. So that's just one of the examples. But I don't know, Sharky, you know, do you do you really see? And, and let me ask you something. Do you see, and I think you did a poll on this on your Instagram stories. Did you do that where you asked people if they were interested in a Canon mirrorless system? Like, I wonder, because Sony and Fuji and Panasonic have been doing this for so many years now, and especially Sony was, has been dominating. Do you see people going back? I asked people in my poll if you would consider going to a Canon or Nikon full-frame mirrorless body when they're out, and 72% said yes. That's a huge number. Yeah. The rest, they're going to, I think eventually you're not going to have a choice. There'll be a watershed moment, right? And they're not going to make a DSLR anymore because you wouldn't need to. As long as the experience, and I've been saying this for years, as long as the experience is the same, when you look through your viewfinder, you know, there's people that look at the LCD, you're good to go, right? You're in live view mode, basically. So if you're looking through the viewfinder and you can't tell the difference, why do you care if there's a mirror in there or not? All the times that I've had to send my camera in to get the shutter replaced, it was because the mirror box or the mirror broke first. And then you replace right. the, the shutter at the same time because they had the same, you know, actuations and such on it. You don't want that mirror in there if you don't need to. It's loud. It's in the way. Because it's in the way, there's all this technology that you can't take advantage of because your sensor is being blocked most of the time. And I think they talk about that in this article. So mirrorless is the future. Canon and Nikon have even said that. The fact that Sony has sold so many darn cameras and such proves that as well. People want mirrorless technology, but the masses want something that say Canon or Nikon on it. Like I said, I think it was episode 262 or 263 of my show, the Patapixel Photography Podcast. Thank you. That was number two right there, I think. Technically three. I, I gave the first one. All right. Well, if you're going to be technical, then we can do that. Le first, learn how to say Novin whatever tuple, and then we'll talk about that. <laughs> Novin vision tuple. <laughs> oh, now you get it. Great. I get it. <laughs> but see, for most people... Sony means TVs, Walkmans, if those are still available for us 80s kids, uh, you know, speaker systems, etc. Sony doesn't mean camera to anyone outside of our genre. You know, that's a really I have to let me let me jump in there that I don't think I ever seriously considered that. And I, I like that. I like what you're where you're going here. Uh, I don't I'm not saying I necessarily totally agree with you, but I never considered that in terms of the brand awareness with Canon. Yes, Canon and Nikon, I think, are synonymous. At least they're more synonymous with photography in the grand scheme of photography than Sony. Sony is a relatively new player, in, even though they've had cameras for years. 
I like that, Sharky. Uh, talk more about that. It's not something I've heard someone say before, and I don't know why I haven't talked about it until just that last episode of my show, is think about it. If you're not a photo nerd like us, you're not already in the genre, you're not reading the blogs, you're not reading the magazines, which, you know, whatever magazines are left, etc. you don't know Sony as a camera company. So when it comes time to get a camera, let's say Canon and Nikon have a huge push. They put a lot of ads out there. They're on TV, right? You know, you've got your Rebel this and that on TV, or you've got your ads online, and they're pushing these amazing technology cameras that they've just come out, and it's a Canon or a Nikon. People will be like, wow, what's that all about? I'll get one of those. They're not going to consider a Sony necessarily because Sony doesn't mean camera to them. Canon and Nikon have all that cred, 100 plus years each or whatever, with being in the camera business. And so a lot of people will be like, you know what? I I don't know about Sony and Fujifilm. What f- film? That was a long time ago. I'm not going to get one of those. I'll get a Nikon or I'll get a Canon. And I think most people would do that. So Sony has an uphill battle because when those other people come into the market and look for a camera and they get a Nikon or Canon, they're not getting a Sony. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be more difficult for them, I think, going forward. They should be really concerned. And I said that they probably should have maybe charged less for their cameras and lenses and got more people in. Be a bit more of a loss leader and just get more people into the system. Because once you get people to sell off their Canon and Nikon glass and get into the Sony system, you're unlikely to go back. So I think Sony would have done well to have got as many people as possible into their system because when the two big boys on the block, Nikon and Canon, come hard with their mirrorless systems, they may have missed the boat on that. You know what I'm saying? They You should have had more people get into your system while you could because we're within probably a year or less of Canon and Nikon both having serious mirrorless systems. And I don't think they're going to be lame. I don't think they're going to be like the EOS M used to be. It's gotten better or that horrible Nikon one system as far as mirrorless goes, they're going to come at it with an amazing body straight out of the gate. It might not be perfect, but it'll be pretty darn good. Close enough. And Sony should be worried. It's going to have to be because so many people are just kind of at their wits end with Canon and Nikon. And I'm talking so many people, meaning existing Canon or Nikon users. For me, ultimately, though, the move to mirrorless is something that kind of has to happen. It's I equate it to the industry moving from, you know, hard drives that had all these moving spinning platters to SSDs. Partly you get the this huge speed boost, but also lack of moving parts. And like you said, it's just having that mirror flip up and down. Uh, it's just all these little tiny, tiny moving parts that just will break after so many actuations. So I, I don't know. I, I, I do like your argument in terms of the mind share and the name recognition. I do see Sony making some strong strides like with their Alpha Collective program where they're going for all these Instagrammers trying to uh, secure the uh, this younger crowd. And ultimately, it will be, you know, I'd say right now the onus is on Canon and Nikon to uh, show what they've got in this. And like you said, if it's another Canon uh, EOS M or a Nikon one, done, game over. I don't know that you can recover from that. They have really one shot right now because here's the thing, Sharky, the, there is a very viable solution with the Sony cameras. Uh, and again, Canon shooters at the very least can relatively easily migrate over with the body first and then sell off some of the lenses. And all of this time, Sony and Zeiss and these other companies, now Sigma even, uh, with, you know, announcing like nine new lenses for the EF line. Uh, all these years, these four or five years have given Sony the EF uh, lens mount, the full frame EF lens mount, time to mature. It's not like it was the first year, year and a half where photographers 
macros were just like limited to three lenses that were f4 and whatnot so anyway i think sharky uh, unless you've got something to say i think we really covered this one no i think we beat that dead we'll probably talk about it in the future it just it it, it kills me because in the early days of mirrorless even just like a couple years ago people were like oh sony whatever that's a toy you know come on I, I, electronic viewfinder what, what, what's the deal here and then they see all these pros going sony the whole uh just thinking about mirrorless has matured and that's played into sony's favor and the other companies big time and that's made canon and nikon worried because dslr sales have gone down while mirrorless sales have been up 30 percent so canon just said recently we need to get into that market and compete otherwise you know they're eating our lunch and so that's where things are going and you're gonna have a mirrorless and dslr version on parity of you know, a Canon body, I think, and probably a Nikon. And then, like I said, eventually it'll just be the mirrorless version because you won't need a DSLR. It just doesn't make sense. Given the choice, you'll have the mirrorless. It'll be just fine. Everyone will be cool with it. So unless you have something else, why don't you tell us what the second story is? Uh, sure. No, I'm good with that. This second story is funny. I When I read this, I, I just uh, actually no. you know, I think Eliah, Eliah and I are, are uh, personal friends and we chat offline. So he messaged me the link to this. Basically, here's the thing. Um, this is about piracy for those that don't know what piracy is. It's basically in the software sense. This is you downloading or obtaining software that normally costs money. And uh, software can be an application. It could be training stuff. It could be Lightroom presets. Uh, but basically, you're stealing this stuff. You're not paying for it. So F-Stoppers, uh, which is uh, a photography content hub very similar to petapixel um they have worked with several photographers like uh high name photographers well-known photographers to create these kind of highly produced polished uh video tutorials and one of the photographers that f-stoppers had worked with uh is elia Licardi. and there's a, a series i think there are three installments already called photographing the world and these are really nice like i said produced videos sharky they travel with elia you know filming the from the concept to the composition all the way through to the editing and the sad uh, nature is that once a video like this let's say whatever they charge hundred dollars or whatever once it's out there it's almost inevitable that within days it's going to start making its way uh, onto BitTorrent. so this is basically a distributed architecture where software of of any kind is is made available for people to download because it's distributed meaning it's not on one single server it's very hard to trace so of course um, within a few days after their third latest version of this photographing the world series uh they saw it on torrents and so what they decided to do was essentially spoof or or rickroll these people where uh elia and the f-stoppers gang filmed basically an entire kind of video like a training video outside of an olive garden in uh south carolina meaning they they went the whole way and made it seem like it was this legit thing him taking photos of an olive garden in a shopping mall area and then they they torrented it themselves they essentially put that video out there on the torrents and uh said you know basically when you got to the end it said hey by the way you downloaded this illegally or this is this is something that uh is an issue so let me ask you something sharky or you know just very basically what's your take on and i know it's kind of probably it's it's obvious but what's your take on on torrents and and kind of software piracy i haven't torrented anything myself in years but most people probably have right especially back in the day 
And, you know, a lot of people, if, if you're a student, you can get a discount on Adobe software and other software. So that's cheaper. But a lot of especially kids that grew up in the last 10, 15 years or so know how to do this stuff. They download the software and there's a program to crack it so you can generate a code or just make it so you don't need a code, etc. These really smart people out there that figure out how to do this, you know, they're putting their abilities in the computer arena to help pirate things rather than create things. And that costs software companies money. But, you know, back in the day, Napster, people would, you know, steal music and have giant libraries. But then, you know, iTunes came out and you could buy a song for a dollar and you've got all these services you can pay for. And maybe it's because I haven't done any of that stuff in forever, certainly past the statute of limitations. If anyone's listening long, long time ago, I just I I don't know what the current state of it is, but apparently people are still torrenting things and you can find just about anything you want as long as someone buys it or they use a stolen credit card and they acquire it that way. They put it up on a torrent site and all of a sudden it's out there and software publishers and people who create content know this. You build it into the price. You know that a certain percentage of people are just and those are people that are never going to pay for it anyhow. If they had to and they saved up, they would. But honestly, I think most of the people that torrent these things, these are people that are not going to pay for it anyhow. Right. So I don't really think you lose much. Like uh, Leo Laporte, you know, Leo Laporte is from the Twitch network. He said, you just if you're in the software business, you're in, you know, the content creation business and you don't figure that someone's going to steal your stuff and you don't plan for that, then you really shouldn't be in the business because it's a reality you have to deal with. So the the second half of that is where I think a lot of photographers uh, don't have a leg to stand on, meaning if you don't think that people are going to steal it, if you don't plan for it. And that's where the, if you don't plan for it, we've talked about this before about the whole, you know, content copywriting in terms of protecting your photos uh, for punitive damages and stuff like that. That's not the point I want to make. But for me, yes, I'm, I'm with you, man, like especially in college uh, where you barely have two nickels uh, to rub together uh, because, God, I don't even remember how much my tuition was, but uh, I was there. I was right there with you, like with Photoshop and stuff. I remember back in the day running a cracked copy. And part of that for me was, uh, you know, Photoshop, this was well before any sort of subscription model. So uh, if I wanted Photoshop, I had to buy it. Even with the the academic discount, it was outside of my budget. I couldn't afford it. And also uh, there's that typical argument, uh, at least that I made rationalizing, well, you know, I'm just using it for, for you know, fun. It, I wasn't, back in college, I wasn't using it for any sort of commercial purposes. And I always told myself, well, if I ever do use these products for commercial purposes, then, you know, that means I'm hopefully making money and I will be, uh, I will spend the money to license it. Uh, same thing, you know, m- movies and music back then was, you know, rampant with uh, just downloading. And that's not right, you know, uh, especially after if you do want to go down the road of like how much an actual musical artist makes after the uh, record industry and their, you know, management company and all those people get their cuts. It's a really tough world. And there are a lot of issues still with subscription models with Spotify and Apple Music and whatnot. But now that I'm older and wiser, I under and also because I'm a photographer, I'm a content creator. I have an e-store where I sell products, and I know for a fact that those products are on torrent sites. I know it for a fact because uh, I've seen traffic coming from them, uh, from like Pirate Bay and stuff like that, uh, on my own uh, analytics reports. 
So it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, there are far worse things in the world. But as a content creator, uh, it really is a crappy feeling to know that the work, you know, you as F Stopper says, they put all the money up front. It's their money. They're putting it up front. They, they're, and it's a lot of money because if you watch these the previews of, of these products, they look really nice. And Elias is no slouch in terms of photography. He does really good stuff. So to see it uh, just being stolen like that, that's a really tough thing. And and ultimately, this is where, for all those people who who freak out over subscription models, this is where that kind of stuff comes from. Uh, because uh, having, for instance, Photoshop, where they would usually charge you once per version, um, and then you'd pay an upgrade fee, the losses still were so great. And, and what I mean by losses is the, the, the theft, the piracy of the software was so great that... that it was really hard to make money uh, now with this kind of incremental revenue where uh, if you want to keep it, you have to phone in to their servers once every 30 days, I think, you know, on ones doing this. Um, I, I see a lot of people doing this. And so this is just, I would say subscription, part of it is it is a product of this piracy culture. And here's the thing, Sharky, here's where it really burns me. I would say like a photographer would never dream. Here's the, the, the hardware equivalent of piracy. Oh man, that, that, 16 to 35 millimeter f2.8 man I, I really want that but i can't afford it i'm gonna go and break into bnh and steal it and take it that's the hardware equivalent but that kind of leap in terms of logic for a photographer that you don't see that i mean of course people break you had the the, the camera store in canada that was uh broken into fine of course but it's just not something that, that for some reason we are able to obfuscate or kind of fork the logic between stealing something that is immaterial or not fit, you know, tangible software and hardware, something that you can actually hold in your hands. And that's something that always uh, I find amazing. You know, it's because there's actual significant cost to making a lens, shipping it, all that sort of thing. So people think, well, software, it's just a copy. It's just ones and zeros. But there's a lot that goes into it. You know, OK, so it's different than stealing an actual hardware copy of something because, you know, the cost. Right. But still, it's stealing. And so it, what's funny also is not just that a lot of photographers would be like, well, I'd never steal an actual you know, camera or lens, but, you know, software that's different. These are the same people also that complain when their photos get stolen online and yet they're torrenting things. So it's it, that's just there's just so much hypocrisy. It's like that's a squiggly little line you drew around there. So I don't know. They've made it easier these days to do the right thing. Honest people are subsidizing the software for those that steal. Hopefully those that steal it eventually will buy it and get into the subscription model as they get older and think, well, this was that was not cool of me to do that. Hopefully they'll buy it, contribute somehow. But, you know, these businesses know that this happens. They don't like that it happens. They try to stop it from happening. But it's part of the business model. Yeah. You know, it's it's built in. They know that there's going to be a certain just like retail. You know, you're going to have a certain amount of theft that you're going to have to write off and they do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, for me, I uh, firsthand when I worked uh, at on one. Uh, so I started on one, I think in 2010 or 2011. And that was the first time I worked for a software company, especially one that I was using. And I got my copy of on one because I won it at a contest. Uh, at a Photoshop world, which was pretty funny. But, you know, I, I became friends, obviously, with my coworkers. And my coworkers were the product manager, the engineers, the software engineers, the QA team, 
you know, all of the the devs who were spending all of their hours building these products. And yes, you're hundred percent right, Sharky. You know, people see software as ones and zeros. It's it's just something that they can't hold. It's a you know this thing, this virtual thing that they double click on their computer, and it allows them to effectively create. And what I mean by create, take the photo that they've already created, the image, and then create something from that. And this kind of stuff is unfortunate. And I'm with you. I can't lose sight of the hypocrisy in terms of I know what I was like when I was younger. You know, I was I definitely had, like I said, that one cracked copy of Photoshop. And I also was the one who was on the receiving end of many viruses when I ran Windows, um, because that's one of the kind of when you roll the dice of piracy, that's one of the gambles or risks you take. With that said, for years now, like Cole and I, we buy our movies from iTunes. We are Spotify and Apple Music subscribers, Netflix subscribers. It just, for me, it just feels right. Um, knowing what goes into software firsthand and how much work goes into it, it, it's only the right thing to do. And yes, people freak out for some reason. They freak out over this concept of not owning their software with subscriptions, like when when Adobe did their photography bundle. I mean, Adobe just announced increased in prices to their Creative Cloud, but they aren't touching the prices of the photography bundle. You know, because of how much of a freak out photographers made. So ten bucks or twelve bucks or fifteen bucks a month. These photographers freak out, but like you said, Sharky, you know, they don't want to pay that even though it's the cost of like a meal at, uh, I don't know, some restaurant or a few cups of coffee at a Starbucks. But if, you know, their photos are stolen, look out. Or if someone's like, hey, I'll pay you a hundred dollars to do this shoot, the kind of devaluation of your, of your work. So I don't know, for me, I, when I see software, um, almost always the software that I'm interested in has some sort of a trial. I do my research. If it's something I need, I happily spend the money because I know it's a lot of work. And a lot of devs these days are just one or two people or a small handful of people, and they're putting everything into making it a good product. So that's that, Sharky. That's my take. At the risk of going long here on this episode, Adobe raising the prices after making billions of dollars, that's the kind of stuff that causes people to go, screw them, I'm going to torrent their stuff, or I'm just going to move to some other you know, software. It's just, come on, they're making so much money. Come on, 50 bucks a, a month isn't enough. Well, listen, I mean, here's the thing. That's where competition is wonderful. You've got Affinity Photo, which is a Photoshop clone. You've, they've got an Illustrator clone. Not, I shouldn't say clone, sorry, competitor. They've got an alternative. And 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 they're working on an InDesign competitor. You've got on one. You've got Luminar. You know, you've got all these different. Uh, you've got Capture One. If all of these alternatives that currently not only they either offer like Affinity Photo, I think is like it's not that much money. I think it's under two hundred dollars. And we got like App of the Year from uh, Apple for their Mac App Store. But my point is, yeah, you're right. Like if people don't want to. F- you know, they want to somehow feel like they own their software. And the, the funniest thing about that is even when they license their software, they still don't own it. You're just licensing it. You don't own it. It's not your product. You're just paying for the right to use it for, in this case, um, in perpetuity. So you can use it until it stops working with your computer. But I don't know. To me, uh, I see value in the Adobe ecosystem and I've been using it for many years. And yes, Sharky, they make billions of dollars, but they make a, a ton of products that are industry products. So my only thing is if I was paying all this money and I didn't see notable improvements regularly, that would be one thing. But I actually have seen Adobe invest in some really cool technologies with their Sensei technologies or uh, auto select in Photoshop, which is uh, it, when it works, it's amazing. But then also you're, you are seeing other companies like On One really up their game and, and try to offer something that fills that gap created by Adobe and their subscription model. All right. We definitely beat it dead. 
It's gone. It's a goner. R.I.P. We beat it good. Sharky, I've got a question for you. What is that, Brian? So let me know what what's on your gear shelf. What's on my gear shelf this week is the lens skirt. So it sounds like a goofy product and it is, but it's awesome. So if you've ever been to, I don't know, let's say Las Vegas and you want to shoot the skyline from your window, you can't crack the window open and you know, you can put your camera against there, you know, put, put the lens up against the window and it might not be the right angle for you. And you've got all these reflections off of your, you know, the exit sign in your room and you could darken things all you want and you're still going to have reflections to deal with. And this also happens if you want to go like to an aquarium or or let's say you're at the zoo and you want to shoot, you know, up against the window and such like the, the gorillas are really super interesting that day. Like they're not ever. And you want to shoot, you get yourself a lens skirt. And so it's a fabric box that has four on each corner it ha- and it folds up. So it's, you know, it, it gets fairly small ish and you can put it in your bag and it folds up. And then when you unfold it, it's kind of like a box kind of shape. And well, it's kind of like an angled box. It's a tetrahedron. No, I don't know. I can't even remember what that is. It's a, it has a, these suction cups on it. So you can, if you want to, you don't have to, but you can suction cup that to a window to glass. And then there's another end where you can put your lens through and you can tighten it down and make it all nice and, and dark for you there. And that way you don't have reflections to deal with. It's a great product to get. I think it's like, I think it's 50 bucks. Yeah. Like 50 bucks. It's totally worth it. It's one of those buy once, cry once kind of things. You're, you're going to be happy that you have it when you need to go shoot somewhere and you're dealing with reflections and you need to be able to put your lens up against the glass. I tell you, I bought this so long ago. It tells you, it says for wider lenses, it goes, the lens skirt has been tested with a lens as wide as a 15 millimeter lens on a Canon 5D Mark II. So that tells you how long I've had this thing for a long time. And it's great. I've used it a bunch. It's it's wonderful. I can't tell you how many times I've been in hotel rooms and one reason or another, I just never bought this. So when you sent it for this episode, I was like, oh, boom, I, I ordered it because I've been on that receiving end in the hotel room where I have the, the lens. I have everything turned off. I've got my jacket over me like i have got some sort of weird cape and I'm trying everything. And the problem is that really the only way you can eliminate most of that reflection is if you put the lens flush against the glass. But the problem is at that perpendicular angle, more likely than not, that's not the right angle. Like you said, you want to angle it down. The second you lift the camera up just a little, little bit, it's like, oh my God, all these different reflections. Great pick, Sharky. That I, I would say, I would strongly recommend people, if you don't have one, this is something you want to invest in and pack with you. Awesome. It's a great product that people would really enjoy it, especially if you're going to go to Las Vegas, like I said, get yourself one. You're going to take pictures out your window. You'll be happy that you did so. So Brian, what's on your gear shelf? Sure. So um, what's on my gear shelf is actually uh, I had it literally on my desk because I'm writing an article for an upcoming issue of Digital Photo Magazine. I write for them frequently, Digital Photo and Digital Photo Pro. Um, And the topic for this one is I called it Breakthrough a Creative Funk with Specialty Lenses. So my pick for this week is a specialty lens by a company that's pretty much synonymous with specialty lenses, and that's Lens Baby. I have a special place in my heart for them because uh, their headquarters is in Portland, Oregon. I visited them. They're just the nicest people. But this, the lens in particular that I'm talking about is called the Trio. 
T-R-I-O. So uh, this is a lens. Uh, it's, I think, like 300 bucks off their website and comes in different mounts. There's a Canon M mount. Go figure. Uh, there's a Sony E mount. Uh, there's the Fuji X and the Micro Four Thirds. Basically, this lens is only for mirrorless cameras, not for DSLRs. But what I like about it is that it's, it's so it's a fixed 28 millimeter F3.5 aperture. So it's a wide angle lens which, with a relatively fast or large aperture rather. But it has these three different lenses that you can kind of rotate and it gives you three different effects. One is called sweet, one is called vintage, one is called velvet. And, you know, basically the way it works is the center frame, the center part of the frame for the most part is always going to be tack sharp. And then depending on which of these three different options, it adjusts or affects the kind of the qualities of the bokeh. And when it works, meaning when you have the right subject, it always works. But when it when you have the right subject, it can add a really really nice kind of ethereal look. And I use this again when I'm in a funk. Right now, I'm in kind of like the mother of all funks, like a multi-month funk. And I'm like with you, Sharky. I haven't shot, I mean, I've really only gone on one shoot so far to Canada in January. We're now in like almost the end of March. So when I do have these funks, I usually just take a lens like this one and uh, I give it a whirl. And so uh, the Lens Baby makes a bunch of different lenses. They make lenses for full frame cameras like the Canon and Nikons. Don't get me wrong. This one is made for mirrorless. But, you know, if you they're, they're probably most famous for what they're known for is their Composer Pro, uh, which uh, recreates or simulates when we talk about tilt shift lenses. It, it simulates the, the tilt component of a tilt shift lens. So uh, anyway, that's kind of my pick is the Lens Baby Trio 28. It's a, it's a fun lens to use. Um, and I highly recommend it if just something you want to try something different. Awesome. As I said in my show a while back, I went to the Lens Baby site and I was surprised how many darn kinds of lenses they have now. I always thought it was just they had like one or two and, you know, they just tilt around and you put like a little bokeh thing in there so you can have star bokeh. And nope, they have like 30 different things. It's insane. So great pick. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And you know what? I think this was a great show, if I do say so myself. What do you say? I do. And, you know, I think we gave the audience some serious things to think about to kind of to munch on. Oh, they're going to be doing a lot of munching after this. No doubt about it. So why don't you tell people where they can find you and us? For sure. So uh, if you want to learn more about anything we talked about in this show, of course, they'll be available uh, at our show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. We're on social everywhere at nonamephotoshow. That's B-R-I-A-N-M-A-T-I-A-S-H. Pretty much everywhere. What about you, Sharky? Also, don't forget, you didn't mention this, but our hashtag on Twitter, AskNNPS. Do you even check that anymore? I do. I do. And when there's something to talk about, I would bring it up. All right. So ask us something worthwhile is what you're saying. Yeah, I want people, we we use that as, as uh, topics in the past, where if someone messages us on Twitter using hashtag AskNNPS, you know, we we just want something that's good. Hey. We have high standards here, so there you go. But if you want to find me online, of course, I host the Petapixel Photography Podcast, petapixel.com slash podcast. You can find me on the socials, as you say. We're talking Facebook. We're talking the Twitters and the Instagram. I'm Lens Shark, L-E-N-S-S-H-A-R-K. Go ahead and join us. I do a bunch of goofy stories, goofy polls over on Instagram. We're having a good time over there. So, Brian, what do you say we clap it out? Sounds good, dude. Let's do it. All right, here we go. One, two. We'll fix it in post. Yeah. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again in the next episode? 
Yeah, let's do that. Mm-hmm.